Welcome to Creating a Buzz About Health podcast with Paula Carnell. Hello, hello. Today I'm going to talk about drones. And drones are the male bees inside a hive. So inside a colony of honeybees, you'll have one queen, you'll have 50 to 70,000 worker bees, all female. So they're called worker bees because they do all the work. And then we have about 5% of the bees will be male and they're drones. Now, the drones can often get a bit of a bad rap or they could be seen as the lazy boys. They're the ones that get pampered and fed and looked after by all the female worker bees. And then they just go off, hang out at a drone congregation area every day through the summer months, hoping to meet a passing queen and the lucky ones will mate with her. And then when they mate, they actually, after mating, they drop to the ground and die because their their special sexual parts get left inside the queen and they get ripped apart from them as they pull away from the queen. And so they fall to their death. So you could say they have a short but very happy life or you could say it's very tragic and, and how brutal, but their purpose is done. And what I find really interesting is this whole perception that the bee, the male bees only have this one purpose to mate with the queen. And so if they don't get to mate, then, you know, they're, they're no use. Now, I believe it's a bit more complex than that, because when you look at the bees, you look at their whole life cycle and you look at the interaction between bees. I think there's a lot more going on. So. Let's go back to the drones and how they emerge. So the queen bee, when she mates, she'll mate with between 15 and 48 male bees, drones. And she will store all the sperm in um, an area called the spermatheca inside her abdomen. So when she lays eggs, the eggs are initially unfertilized. Now, there's a big debate amongst bee scientists about whether the queen decides to fertilize each egg or whether it's the manufacture of the cells, the wax cells of the beehive that determine whether or not the egg is fertilized. So the first view is that the queen is laying eggs and she thinks, oh, I'll fertilize this one. So she squeezes a bit of sperm out and fertilizes that egg. The second idea is that all the wax comb, when you look at the wax comb, the comb cells that have drones in are slightly bigger. So when you watch a queen, when she lowers her abdomen into a small cell, the abdomen is compressed, which would squeeze the sperm out, therefore fertilizing an egg. And those eggs become the female bees. If you have a bigger cell, her abdomen isn't compressed, so the sperm isn't released. Now, the reason there's a debate about this, because you think, well, that sounds quite obvious, and I would think that's quite obvious. Well, when scientists were trying to really determine, is this what happens? Could it really be true that all these female worker bees are holding the balance of sexes in the hive or, or deciding whether or not there's going to be male or female bees? And so what they did was they took a mated queen bee and they had her walk along a plain sheet of paper and see if she lays eggs. Now she did lay eggs and she laid fertilized and unfertilized eggs. And therefore it's um, assumed that the queen must always make the decision. 
Now, my question is, the Queen knows that the survival of her colony and her species is her most important goal. She has to lay eggs and she has to have that balance. If she only lays female eggs, then her species or her colony will die out. So she has to have a mix of male and female because the male will ensure, will ensure the future of her race. So I'm thinking if she's on a plain sheet of paper and she's thinking, okay, Nobody's making it easy for me here. So I'm just going to have to take control and decide the balance. So that's my thoughts. And I would love you know, to know what your thoughts about this. So moving on from when the egg is laid, if it's an unfertilized egg, it's actually a clone of the queen. Now, this is where the genetics of male bees is particularly interesting. Because the male bee does not have a father, it only has the mother, it's a clone of the mother, that then means that it only has three grandparents because the mother would have two grandparents, but the father only had the one, the mother. And this is where the Fibonacci sequence is well known to come in with bees. So if you look at the family tree of a male bee, a drone, it will follow that sequence of one, two, three, five, eight, 13, um, 21, 34, and so on. So each number is the sum of the previous two. So it's very interesting when you look at, at these patterns. So then when you look at the hive, and conventional beekeepers will often cull drones. Now, there'll be several reasons for this. The queen will produce drones so that when the colony is expanding in the spring, there's a good supply of male bees to mate with the queens in that area. So it's absolutely vital that there's lots of male bees because if you don't have lots of male bees and the queen doesn't mate with enough, then there's a risk that she'll be mating with infertile male bees or there just won't be enough genetic diversity to ensure the health and well-being of these colonies. Now, the reason that male bee, um, beekeepers will kill some of the male drone, drone brood is twofold. The first one is female eggs take 21 days to develop before they hatch. The male bees take 24 days. Now there's a pest called the Varroa mite and the Varroa mite crawls into the hive and um, goes into the cells and feeds off the larvae, feeds off the fat bodies of the larvae, so that the larvae will either die or they'll be deformed. It just really weakens their immune system. So then when the larvae emerge, they can have deformed wings, they can have all kinds of other problems. And so there's this idea that, well, if that's where all the varroa mites are in the drone brood, if you remove the drone brood, you won't have the varroa mites. The other thing is that if you have drone brood, it's an indication that your colony is strong, is expanding and could well swarm. And this is another thing that conventional beekeepers don't like is their bees swarming because it could be a problem if you're in a, a town or a city centre because you don't want bees annoying all your neighbours and swarming everywhere. So you do need to think about some kind of swarm management. But what they always moan about is as soon as they remove drone, 
the the bees just produce more drone because they know they've got to have more drone brood. They know that the balance has got to be right for the survival of the species. So it's an ongoing battle with beekeepers removing drone and, and sacrificing in it. And it does slow down the whole expansion of the colony. Something I did learn that was very interesting through seeing an apitherapy hive which was a smaller observation hive that was designed so that people could have their own sort of medicine cabinet a bee medicine cabinet in their houses the size of that hive was determined so that the queen knew the colony couldn't expand and so doesn't produce drones so the colony was always going to be female bees and they wouldn't swarm because um, you know they were happy with the size they had so that's something that needs a bit more investigation so when the drones emerge, they are then living quite a pampered life. They get fed, they get groomed, they get nurtured and loved by all the female bees. They're these wonderful, um, they're larger, they're a bit fluffier. But what's interesting is they have these huge eyes. So bees live in the dark and then the bees are flying outside at the later, um, later weeks of their lives. But the drone bees are fed so they're not going out to collect nectar and pollen their purpose is to go out find um, a drone congregation area where they will then hang out and wait until a queen passes ready to be mated so something that's very interesting is how do they know where the drone congregation areas are well the drone congregation areas are these ancient sites that have been known about for as long as humans have been observing bees and learning from bees and they're an area, it's like a big male club. It's where they all hang out together all day, so, you know, for the sunny day. So from sort of 10 in the morning till three or four in the afternoon, they're just hanging around in this area. So why that area? There is a lot of understanding now that you have these special hotspots around the globe. So it's where you have geopathic stress lines or certain energy lines are all crossing. And these drone congregation areas match with that. Now, what backs that up is a few days before the drones are mature enough to leave the hive, they have an increase in magnetite in their abdomens. So magnetite has magnetic properties. Where you have these geopathic stress lines crossing, you're going to have magnetic properties. So could it be that by having that increase in magnetite, it will pull the drones. It will give them that direction like a magnet to where they have to hang out for the future of their species, the future of their kind. So I love this. The other thing you notice is the big eyes. So why could they have big eyes? Now, if you're watching beehives, if you've got more than one colony, you can actually, and you, if you spend a bit of time watching them, you'll notice that the male bees can go in and out of hives without being challenged by the guard bees. So the guard bees are all around the inside of the entrance of the hive. And if any strange bee tries to get in or a wasp or anything, those guard bees are onto them. They just they're really the defenders of the hive. But drone bees just have freedom to walk in and out. And even if they're not from that colony. So could it be that these drones are able to go and look inside other colonies to see what's going on? Because if a species is going to succeed, it needs to have that collective consciousness of the wisdom of all the hives, of the wisdom of all the colonies. 
And the only way to get that is by going inside and having a look. So I like the thought that these drones are going into other hives. They're having a look around. They're going, oh, these girls are all producing lots more drones. You know, they're going to swarm. That means there'll be some queens or these bees have got some queen cells. Let's get ready, boys. Or it could be these bees are failing. Um, I'll go back and tell my girls and they can come in and rob the spoils, rob the honey. Or it could be these girls are collecting this nectar or this pollen and we didn't know about it. So the drones will go back, share that knowledge with the bees from his hive. And then it helps everyone. They they then know what's flowering, where, how to get there and, you know, benefits all of the species. And this is backed up by this lovely um, idea or quote that every decision a bee makes is for the good of the species. It's not for the good of the self, like humans. It's not for the good of that colony or that family. It's for the good of the species. So although the colonies don't like to mix and merge, they have this freedom of the drones to come and go so that they can then share that wisdom quite safely because they're not a threat. And it's important that the drones know there's some queens coming. Let's all hang out at the drone congregation area. And also, you know, with the balance of weather and and all the different environmental situations that the bees are contending with, these drones are the, the real, the watchmen. They're the watchmen with their big eyes and they're watching what's going around. So I really like that with drones. So we mustn't feel too sorry for them and we mustn't think that they only have one use. Now, the other thing I observed is that I've actually seen drones cleaning the base of hives. So could this be modern males? We once removed the base of a log hive, a tree hive, and in the base, we could actually see male bees picking up debris and carrying it out. I mean, how incredible is that? So there are modern males who are contributing if the colony needs work doing and the drones are there. And maybe if it's raining or damp and they can't go outside, perhaps they do lend a hand. Isn't that a nice thought? Now, when you get to the end of the summer, if you've got a lot of drones in a colony, but it is the end of the summer, so the other colonies are not producing queens, so the queens aren't going to the um, the drone congregation areas, they're not going to be mated. What do the drones do then? Well, this is where it can get a little bit sinister or a little bit sad. The female bees turn on the drones. The first thing you'll notice when you're watching hives is you'll see drones coming back to the hives and suddenly they no longer have free entry to come and go. They're turned away at the entrance. And you see these poor, forlorn male bees who've been used to having a really pampered life of being welcomed into any hive and fed and groomed and pampered. And suddenly they're rejected. And you just see them sat all quite forlorn on their own, on leaves or on the lawn or on a log or somewhere nearby the hive, just feeling really sorry for themselves. And that's quite sad. But it's better than the alternative. The ones that are let in, and I've observed this happen really, really quickly, the female bees will suddenly come with a decision where the male bees have to go. And what they do is they attack the male bees. They bite them, they chew them, they rip their legs off, rip their wings off, and you'll have all these dead drones all piled up at the bottom of the hive. Now, this really can happen within a 24 hour period. And when you have observation hives, you get to see this. 
So it could be triggered by some wet weather in August and the bees are like, okay, it's winter now. It's the end of the summer. We don't have enough food to go round. We don't want to be feeding all these male bees, all these big hungry lads. So let's just kick them out. Let's just get rid of them. Um, It could also be that the colony is dwindling. It's getting smaller and smaller through the end of the year. And the bees just say, "Okay, boys, you've had your time. Now, saying that, you can also have the odd drone that survives. You might see a drone through the winter wandering around. And I just wonder if they just hide in a corner or were they born later and pass that sort of culling phrase? So these are things that we just don't know. And we just have to keep watching and learning and listening to the bees to find out what else is going on. Um, And the one sad thing that is happening with bees is we are finding that a lot of people are complaining or, or finding queen failure. So the queens go off and mate, they come back to the hive, they start laying eggs, and then the eggs are all drones, so they're unfertilized. And so that means the colony cannot survive, it can't move forward. And so the bees have to cull that queen and then release another queen. But why could this be? Why would the queen be mating with males who are not fertile? And sadly, this is again due to humans. It's due to beekeeping practices. There is evidence that shows that even the natural miticides that are used to kill the varroa mite are actually creating infertility in the male bees in the second generation. So the miticides, and it was the studies were done on thymol. So this is using essential oil of thyme inside hives. It's the residues are in the wax. And so when the larvae are growing, they're absorbing these residues and it's creating infertility. So we are creating the death of drones, the death of um, our colonies. And this is why we've really got to look carefully at all of our practices. I hope this has given you a bit of an insight into the goings on inside a hive. Um, There's lots of um, comparisons we could use with humans. We could say, you know, maybe this is the way forward for success as a species. Um, But the bees are 150 million years ahead of us. So, boys, you've got plenty of time um, before we start all acting like bees. So thank you very much for listening. If you know anyone who would appreciate this episode or enjoy it, then please like, share, follow um, and do put in comments. You know, do message me on social media or on the YouTube channel because we really love to know what you think. And if there's anything you'd love me to talk about on my podcast, just let me know. Thanks very much. Bye. I love that you've been listening to my podcast. Thank you so much. I am delighted to have the wonderful Bee Brook helping me with editing and um, producing this podcast. So if you've enjoyed it, do share it around and connect with me on social media, Instagram, LinkedIn, and my website. So thank you very much and bye for now. You have to become yourself. Join us Open next time on heart. Creating a Buzz Open About Health heart. podcast with Paula Carnell. Buzz you later.